This is Ann Janzer, author of 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails, and you are listening to a special Christmas episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Hello, thanks for joining me for a special Christmas episode of the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. I'm your host, Douglas Burdell. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you are a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating that you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Now, let's get on with this special episode. Today, we welcome Ann Janzer back for a special Christmas episode to talk about her book, 33 Ways Not to Screw Up your business emails, published by NetWorld Publishing. Ann Janzer is an award-winning author, nonfiction writing coach, and unabashed writing geek on a mission to help people make a positive impact with their writing. She supports and encourages writers, authors, and marketers through her books, blog posts, online courses, webinars, and teaching. Her writing-related books explore the science and practice of effective writing. They include The Writer's Process, the workplace writer's process, and writing to be understood, all three of which have won multiple awards. Before she started writing books, Anne worked as a freelance marketing writer working with more than 100 technology businesses to articulate positioning and messaging in crowded markets. This work led to her first book, Subscription Marketing, which has been translated into multiple languages. Anne is a graduate of Stanford University, which will come up again during the interview. And interesting fact, she is now a member of a very elite club, the Marketing Book Podcast Four Timers Club. Anne, congratulations on 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails, and welcome to this special Christmas episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me. I mean, I'm just delighted to spend holidays with you and with the fantastic Marketing Book Podcast audience. Oh, well, thank you very much. And this interview will publish on uh, December 24th because I publish every Friday, rain or shine. I'm, you know, I've got an obligation to these folks, and mm-hmm. uh, and I love doing this podcast. So, what will you be doing for Christmas, Ann Janser? Are there any uh, holiday traditions or uh, things like that? Oh wow! Um, you know, there the, the, the traditions are still a little askew this year, uh, so I'm not going to do the big sing along Messiah because getting in a room with a bunch of people and singing somehow doesn't feel warm and cozy to me at that's this right. point. You know, uh, so that's a little sad. Um, but but I will spend time with my family. Uh, I will, you know, with my with my adult children, which will be fantastic. Um, I will spend time out, hopefully at the beach, just take, taking in a little fresh air and sunshine and skies and things. Um, so I, it, you know, the holidays are very much what we make them. And of course, so my kids are so lucky because they know that all I really need for a completely happy Christmas is books, tea, and chocolate. And, oh. and once, you, once you've hit that, I'm happy, you know, yeah. so I'm probably the easiest gift 
recipient ever, I hope. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, and you live on the Central California coast, uh, San Luis Obispo? That's right. That's right. Beautiful spot. Oh, I can imagine. And you used to live up in uh, Mountain View, as I recall. Exactly. And my, my kids are still in the San Francisco area. So I, okay. uh, on the holiday itself, that's where I will be most likely. Oh, good. Yeah. And so I had to mention that you're a Stanford grad only because uh, you are a member of the Stanford University Marketing Book Podcast Mafia. And I say <laughs> that because there have been more authors on the podcast over the last hundred a uh, couple hundred episodes with Stanford degrees. It just I I never planned that. I just started noticing it. So it's yeah. either the biggest uh, school in the world, or you are required to write a marketing book to graduate. I, I don't it, know. I think that was on. The, it's now on the application essay. What will your marketing book be about? That's right. that's <laughs> get in. That's what they need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I'd like to thank the alumni association for uh, you know for all that. So the last interview I did with you was about Get the Word Out, which is a book about writing a nonfiction book. And just so everybody knows, Ann Janser has all kinds of ninja mind tricks because (laughs) what she did was she was researching that book and there was a survey where she wanted to interview or she wanted to get results from a lot of nonfiction authors. And she shared it with me and I said, well, I'm not an author, but I could give this to some other folks. And I thought, wait a minute, I could send this to the 250 or so authors I've interviewed. And I I did, because I rarely email them after they've been on the show. And I did that. And then you got a torrent of them responding. And they were, uh, there were between four and 500 uh, results you got. And it was very interesting uh, survey. And it had very interesting findings. It did indeed. Yeah, it was great. And I think that they were all very keen to answer it because they, you know, it's a somewhat solitary <laughs> pursuit and they were anxious to share what their experiences were. And so then after the book was published, you mailed me an autographed copy. And as you know, I, I collect autographed uh, <laughs> sales and marketing books. Some people collect autographed sports memorabilia, not this guy. And so you wrote in the book, Douglas, here's a book you actually don't have to read for your podcast. And I thought, oh, and you're so funny. And then I had a little bit of time. It was uh, one work day, and I sat down in this comfortable chair in my office, and I got to about page 125. And I thought, wait a minute, I just read most of this thing. And I said, you know, the, the thing was, it really had to do with producing almost any kind of content, not necessarily a book, but you you talk about that. And I said, Ann, you... I've got to interview you now. This this is so relevant, not just to people that want to write a book, which is a great marketing uh, tactic for various reasons, but uh, we did that. So then next thing I knew, I published the interview, a lot of fun. Uh, listeners loved it. And then I received a bottle of wine from a vineyard near you in uh, Central California. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember which vineyard because the – bottle was emptied out pretty quickly. It was delicious. And uh, in fact, shared it uh, with my uh, wife. Uh, and I think we might have even sent you a, a picture of us having it. But then, um, you know, you can't just you can't just do that. And you can't, you, you know, two can play at this game. So I went and purchased wine from the Williamsburg Winery. I'm here in Virginia. And 
you know, plan to send that to you. But Anne, what you don't know is that I did extensive product testing of their all their wines before oh, I picked good. which one. <laughs> Yeah, and I did it all pretty much in one afternoon, so make up your own joke about the movie Sideways. So then I sent that to you, and uh, ultimately your uh, UPS guys decided to deliver it to you. I think there was a little bit of a delay there. And so anyway, now as I'm reading through this book on 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails, it was a little bit of a trip down memory lane for me. And what I mean by that is it was painful because I think I've done almost every one of these things wrong. (laughs) As have we all. As have we all. Let's just be honest here. Yes. So tell how you went about developing a lot of this content. You went and asked other people about their stories, right? Yes. Yeah, I did. So I was invited to do a a short, small book on, on business writing. And I thought, well, you know, What's the, the, the small atom of business writing that we all do all the time? And it's, of course, writing emails. I, I don't care who you are, you're writing emails. So, and the, the, the premise of this series was 33 ways not to screw up. So I had that already there. So it, I, this book was a whole different writing process for me than my previous ones because I had that premise and I thought, well, how do I research this? I don't want to just share my own experiences, although. As you said, we've all screwed up emails in, in multitudinous ways. Yes, the title of the book really spoke to me, Anne. Yeah, exactly. So we've all we've all done this, but I thought you know this. Usually, I do a lot of deep research, and I did. I read some books and did research on digital, you know, communications and things. But then I just thought I'm just going to ask people. I'm so I'm going to research this book by sending you know, put, querying people. What are your email? Give me your email disaster stories. Let me let me add, add them. Um, and what a fun way to research a book. Um, only a fraction of them make them into the book because, again, the idea was this should be a very short uh, book. And uh, also, I needed to protect the, the identities of some of the people. Some of the these people, stories. which we'll talk about. Yeah, it's only 100 pages. Right. And keep it for me, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty concise writer, but... Getting to 33 things in 100 pages for me was, a, was means a lot of things got left um, on the on the cutting floor, which is fine. It, it, this serves a specific need, a specific way that people are going to read. I mean, I my hope is someone could pick it up and just kind of skim to, oh, wait, how do salutations, how should I start my email? Just kind of skim to the thing they want, pick up a little nugget and you know, uh, browse around and go on with their day. It's not a sit down and read for hours tome, um, mm-hmm. I hope. <laughs> but gathering those stories was was so much fun. And, and it made it not a solitary writing experience. It made it a very almost collaborative as people sent me their, their stories. And I'm like, can I use this? You know, if I don't give your name, can I use this story? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Reading this book reminded me of uh, an approach another author took, uh, you know, Martin Lindstrom, Mm -hmm. and his most recent book was The Ministry of Common Sense, and his books are just phenomenal, and it was a very funny book, but he also uh, had to do – what he did was, with that book, you could purchase a book, and then you could purchase another one that would then be sent anonymously to, like, the head of your company, because there's so much – there's such a lack of common sense, and a lot of it had to do with culture and the way companies are being managed. And I, I mentioned that in the interview, and he said, Douglas, maybe you didn't realize it. I have a whole program <laughs> where you can – I will send the book to whoever you want it, uh, and we'll send it anonymously, and they won't know who purchased it. And I thought, oh, my goodness. 
That's I, brilliant. I am going to suggest that you do this because I read through this and it's like if you have a colleague or a client or something, I could think of a few where it would make sense to send them the book. <laughs> yeah, and, but you can't really do it without saying, look, I think you write crappy emails. Yeah. So that's brilliant. Oh, so, thank you, Douglas. So, Anne, cool. I think you might want to set up a program like that or maybe you could just um, – I don't know, maybe on Amazon you can just purchase the book and send it. But I, as, as I was reading through this, I'm thinking, oh, I can remember some people I've worked with in the past or currently, and they, they don't yeah. get this. So yeah, there's no extra charge for these ideas that yeah, I that's, have. That's your, Chris, your holiday <laughs> gift to me, so thank you very much. I will take that and run oh, with it. Well, <laughs> good. Fantastic. And also, this might be a, you know, a great book for companies to give to new employees as part of the onboarding Uh, and just say, you know, we strongly urge you to, we want you to be successful. So we urge you to read this uh, short book. Uh, It's, it's, you know, very concentrated. So all you HR folks listening out there, just, you know, something to think about. I was thinking about new entrants into the workforce as well as people, you know, I I think there's something for all of us in here, but I was thinking about people who are just getting started and there's all of this unspoken etiquette about email and how do you, right? And nobody, writes it down. So no. it's like, well, well, let's write it down and just say, here you go. If you follow this, you're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? You don't have to do everything perfectly. If you do a few of these things well, it's really yeah. going to help you stand out. Exactly. Well, let me read from two parts of the introduction. Emails are the one type of business writing that every one of us does, yet we all have room to improve. We dash them off without much thought and sometimes suffer the consequences. Take a good hard look at your email inbox. It's probably a mix of important conversations, things you're putting off reading, and tasks you simply don't want to deal with. How much of it do you read carefully? Many people say email is broken or archaic or a drain on productivity, yet it shows no indication of going away, and with the growth of remote work, it may only be increasing. When you send a message, you launch it into a digital torrent of words, all clamoring for attention in someone's inbox. Your challenge is to get your message across by rising above the sea of poorly thought out, hastily composed emails. When email is less effective, we must be more effective in how we use it. And moving on to another section, this is not a book of email templates or what (laughs) words to write, although you'll find examples for clarity. Instead, it's about email practices. It highlights 33 common mistakes while offering suggestions on how to build practices that set you up for success rather than failure. The practices in this book represent the combined wisdom of legions of people, authors, researchers, consultants, and other professionals who responded to my requests for advice and stories, as we uh, talked about earlier. So 33, we can't go through all of them, but there were a couple of little nuggets I wanted to pull out. But Anne, we have to start with number 27. <laughs> that's Because that's where you make your starring appearance. Well, yes. it is. So there's a movie that came out in 1979 with Steve Martin. It was the first movie he was the star of and uh, called The Jerk. And it had uh, it was by Carl Reiner and it had uh, Jackie Mason and uh, Bernadette Peters and several people in it. And in the movie, uh, the star, Steve Martin, The Jerk, he plays this witless individual and he gets a job at uh, the gas station, which is run by Jackie Mason. And he even lives like in the storage closet of it. And he's he works there for about a year. And then one day, the new phone book arrives at the uh, gas station. 
And I could really relate to that. And I'm going to play that clip right now. The new phone book's here! The new phone book's here! Well, I wish I could get that excited about the... Nothing! Are you kidding? Page 73! Johnson! Maven! R! I'm somebody now! Millions of people look at this book every day! This is the kind of spontaneous publicity, your name in print, that makes people! I'm in print! Things are going to start happening to me now. <laughs> so I felt the same way when I looked at page 81, 27, the, the 27 of 33, Landing in Spam. And I'm going to quote, uh, one of my first podcast interviews was on the Marketing Book Podcast with Douglas Burdett. It very nearly didn't happen because of a spam filter. Several months after publishing Subscription Marketing, I worked up the nerve to reach out to Douglas about being a guest on his podcast. He answered, I invited you a couple months ago, and you never responded. <laughs> a quick search of my spam filter revealed the problem. His email had ended up there by mistake. It all turned out well. Douglas has become a friend, and to this day, he teases me about ghosting him. And I adopted a new practice. About once a week, I hold my nose and take a quick look through my spam folder to see what has landed there. So I think that's interesting. I I very often ignore my spam folder, but besides finding my uh, email one day after uh, I felt stood up. And I should add, Ann Janser, that by rejecting me, I only want you more. Hence, <laughs> hence your fourth uh, appearance on the Marketing Book Podcast. And I think that's a message for all the young unmarried women out there. You know, I got, I've got my daughter here <laughs> for the holidays, and uh, you know, just just thinking about that. But play hard to get. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So another one of those Ann Janser ninja mind tricks. But some other things have happened when you've looked into your spam folder. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've, I think I found one of my foreign publishers uh, out, outreaches ended up in the spam folder. I'm like, oh, is this spam really or is it legit? You know, so that I was really very, very happy to have looked. Um, and I the think, foreign publisher wasn't in Nigeria with the No, royalty, no, right? I think it was either Japan or Korea. It was uh, someone who was acquiring about rights, which yeah. ended up being sold. You know, so they totally legit. Um, emails from people who are on my my writing list sometimes randomly end up there, which is, uh, you know, disturbing to me because I want to be responsive to them. I think I've had some family, <laughs> family emails end up. It's like, how did that happen? Um, so, so it really is worth, you know, I mean, generally I trust the spam filters very much. I'm not, you know, if there's anything at all, I'm not sure of, I will do really, I'm not going to click on a link unless I'm really, really, really sure. Right. But, um, but nonetheless, it is really worth, you know, holding your nose and taking a, a quick look every now and then to make sure nothing important um, has, has landed there. So that's my weekly Douglas Burdett honorary <laughs> spam filter tour. Which yes. Is, uh, fun. So yes. one of your other mistakes was mentioning me in the book, which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you just can't get rid of me. So, well, you know what? Let's go to a couple others that are towards the end of the book, which I think one of the most important one is number 29, emailing when you're upset. Mm. So whenever I've sent an email in the past and I was upset, I knew I was upset and I was angry and I, I usually end up regretting that. So yep, yep. what what, yep. what what advice do you do you have there? And uh, I, I guess it's just, it's re my thought was it's hard not to do that. 
it, it's it's hard not to do that. And then you also can fool yourself. Oh, no one can tell I'm upset. I'm writing this, but they can. You know, I don't. You know, yeah. Somehow it sneaks through. So it's almost always better. You know, just to it, can you wait? Can you wait till the next day? Um, uh, I also had these uh, two people. I also I crowdsourced ideas for this book, obviously, and um, two writers uh, communicated with me, and they say, "Well, we." They were both freelance writers, and we do diplomacy checks for each other, which oh, I that's thought was right. brilliant. So when they when they have something that's a little maybe sensitive, or one of them's upset or something, instead of sending it to the target, they send it to the other person. Say, read this and let me know what you think. And the other the other person says, "Oh, you need, here's what you need to do." <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. So yes, I think that's such a great practice. Um, I you know that's something you could do is just set up a diplomacy check with someone that your colleague you trust who understands the situation and is willing to look and say, "Oh, you." sound upset or you know this whatever who can give you the the feedback you need because it's um yeah it's it's tempting to just fire off an angry missive but holy cow you know we we just need a lot less of that in the world and and it's not going to help your brand it's not going to help your personal brand it's not going to help your Mm, yeah, career generally to show up as the angry one yeah Yeah. and also whenever I've done that I adding to the regret I felt like I lost control so Mm you know, of my emotions. So, uh, there was a a line in that, though. uh, Let's say you need to respond or whatever. This is just uh, genius. You could say something like, I've received your email and I'll respond tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm getting really good at buying myself time for stuff. And that's, you know, just give yourself permission, plan ahead to buy yourself time. If you you know something's going to get you upset, just like, I'm whenever this happens, I'm going to just answer this thing. I'm not going to you know, give myself space. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's related to obviously number 30, which is about replying too quickly. Now, there were, there were some other things I remember this, and I, and I see, I looked through the notes and I recall, I, I, you mentioned uh, Nir Eyal in his book, Indistractable. And mm-hmm. I think it was in that book where he was explaining that even if you want to respond to an email quickly, you need to use a program where it'll send it back in four hours or something like that. And I, his point was, if you let's say it's a customer or a client, if you respond real quickly all the time, they start to expect that, and yeah. it really throws off your your day. So talk about. I, I just don't see. It, it seems perilous to be responding to emails too quickly. Yeah, it's perilous for for a couple reasons. One is that you 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 can kind of shift your email chain into what looks more like a texting chain, where people expect that constant, you yes. know, right? And then they get less, you know, when we're texting, we're less um, thorough about giving people, you know, we think it's going to go back and forth a lot. And and let's let's get out of email chains that go back and forth a lot. What if we can like <laughs> just stop those? I mean, I finally working on this before I did this book, but I finally set up an automated scheduler. So instead of going back and forth with four times to like schedule a phone call with someone, I'm just like, here's a link, pick a time. And it took care of everything else. It's like, yes. it's just one email instead of a bunch. So that's, that's one of the dangers is that you get into this back and forth. The second danger is that you respond too quickly um, either in the negative because of whatever mood you're in or in the positive because like me, you're like, oh yeah, I want to help, you know, and then I said, I've, I just said yes to 30 things this week. <laughs> what, 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 what was I thinking? Um, so there's that problem too, is that you respond quickly without stepping back and getting the perspective that you need. However, 
That said, I recognize that for many people, there's this expectation stated or unstated, perhaps on your team to be responsive. You know, you might want to show your manager that you're responsive, that you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason to have one of these placeholders. Um, You know, it's like, thanks, I got your email in this case. I'm going to think about this and give you an answer by Thursday, you know, and then you have to follow through and give the answer by Thursday. Um, But I think people respect that you're giving due consideration to the thing that you that they've you've asked, they've asked you to do if, if they've asked you to do something. Um, people tend to respect that even if they're not getting an answer immediately. Uh, and I think that that's one way to sort of keep the email from consuming our lives and, and ourselves from getting into trouble with the things that we do quickly on email. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, speaking of getting into trouble and, you know, wanting to respond This is from number 32, business emails in personal time. Explain what you mean when you write emails sent after normal working hours can telegraph messages you do not intend. Yeah. So, again, now this gets into what I was saying about that sort of unspoken uh, um, idea of responsiveness and your obligation to be responsive. And this is really important. It depends on your power relationship with the person um, that you're – communicating with. Um, Erica Dawan wrote a wonderful book called Digital Body Language, and she talks about this in there. So, if your manager sends you an email at, you know, 1 p.m. on a Saturday (laughs) about something they want done, and you are one, you know, we're all a little too obsessive about checking our email. Now, this thing's there, and you're like, ah, do they expect me to do it this weekend? Mm -hmm. They didn't say that explicitly, but it's there implicitly. They're working in the weekend, I guess I should be working in the weekend. Um, I think this is a whole motivation for a lot of the laws in Europe about, you know, some countries you cannot send business emails on the weekend. Oh, right. In France, um, apparently. In France, yeah. yeah. And other companies set up their corporate servers to uh, queue up emails. So I'm a solopreneur, so I don't think about that a lot. But every now and then, if I'm sending something off to someone who I know is doing something as part of their job, and I am I work on the weekends or evenings, but, you know, it's really easy in your mailer to just say send on Monday, you know, or send mm-hmm. send on something, send send later, so that you're not putting your work related emails into their weekends or evenings. So it's something that I'm becoming a little more aware of uh, is respecting other people's boundaries, even if they can't resist checking their email <laughs> on weekends and evenings, um, yeah. is not loading up during then. So it's a small thing, but you know, this is the kind of consideration that we need to give each other in this world in which we're all so overwhelmed with um, digital communications. You know? Yeah. You know, it reminds me, my uh, content director, Pete Humes, he left this summer on, like, on a five-week trip. He drove almost 9,000 miles, he and his wife, and wow. across the United States and back. And I really wanted him to enjoy himself. <laughs> and I was so wary of sending a single email. And as it turned out, I only had to send him one. Oh, that's time. great. That's great. Well, he's he's very buttoned up and everything was was taken care of, but there was one thing I couldn't figure out while he was gone that that I was covering for him. But I was I was sensitive to that and it's only because I've had bosses or customers in the past that would send these emails and I, you know, over the years learned not to even open them, but just the fact that they sent one it was like, "Oh no." Yeah, yeah, right. We've all had that feeling in our guts, like, oh, now what, you know? Yeah, so don't be that, don't be that person. I mean, all of this is to, you know, so much of how we interact with our colleagues, with our prospects, with our 
teams or management is in these virtual channels, right? Yes. And so, you know, we, your audience is in marketing. Right. And I'm sure that if, if you are listening and you are someone who sends out the marketing emails, if you are sending out mass emails on, you know, to thousands of subscribers, you take great care in deciding on the timing and deciding on the subject line, and, you know, very carefully structuring it, knowing what your purpose is. Of course, you put time into it. Uh, and if you are just running those campaigns, not doing the emails, still you're looking really critically at the emails that you get and you're saying that one, you know, this is a really good marketing email. This one really leaves me cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying you have to bring that level of attention to all of your rest of your emails, but, you know, to some extent in the business life, many of your emails are marketing emails. You are marketing yourself yes. to your management. You are marketing yourself, your team, your team to others. Mm-hmm. So can you just take a fraction of that attention that you apply of your marketing eye and apply it to the emails that you do one-on-one, which mm-hmm. can be just as important for your career, if not more so than those mass mailings about a Black Friday deal. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And actually, this book is enormously, would be enormously helpful for salespeople who is after they're interacting with a, a, a prospect. So right. my favorite chapter was 33. And <laughs> the very last words in the book were these. True email mastery includes knowing when not to use email at all. Yep, yep. <laughs> Explain, and then we'll go back to the first part of the book. But I just thought, you know, a lot of times it's not a good idea to do just an email. And in yep. fact, uh, that's the sound of me patting myself on the back. When I invited you on for this episode, I think I sent you a video. You did. And it was so, you know, it's so effective to put your actual face or your actual voice and intonation um to send that out into the world instead of just um, an email. So, you know, it, a conversation is always going to be better than an email, right? In person or, you know, FaceTime, whatever we have available to us will always be better. Um, but we can't always do that. However, we can add, we can add our voice, we can add our human voice, or we can add a video. So my, my son Mark told me about how he uses a, a product called Loom. Uh-huh which I've experimented with now and it's fantastic to just when he's giving feedback to someone. Cause yeah. Really and they have a free version of it. They have a free version. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's keep your videos under five minutes, which is a really good practice anyway. Um, uh, and you know, because feedback, you really want someone to understand, you know, the constructive approach. You don't want that people can read it lots of ways. Um, so anytime where there's this sense of where, where your tone is really critically important, where the things that you're communicating might be really sensitive to the person, consider adding a voice or a video or something so that you can be more present and show more body language, more cues about how you're really feeling and uh, guide the person to how they should interpret this. Because again, we don't tend to read those emails carefully, especially if we're distracted when we're reading them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We tend to misinterpret tone. We tend to just not pay that close attention. Um, so having a little video is, is brilliant and you don't, you know, you don't have to bring the, the lighting and the cameras. It can be a, a, a very personal little video. Yeah. In yeah. fact, if it's too slick, uh, people are suspicious if they don't know you. And mm-hmm. it also brought to mind a book that was on the show a while back by 
Ethan Butte and Stephen Passanelli, uh, Rehumanize Your Business. They're with BombBomb. Bomb. Mm-hmm. And also I noticed, uh, I'm going to include a link to you, the page on your website with resources where you have uh, various tools that you recommend and uh, other things to read about. And, and um, also the a number of the research studies that uh, you quote in the book. But BombBomb, yes. I noticed they were mentioned. I think you mentioned Loom. There's there's a lot of great products out there. Yeah. So there are times when you shouldn't send an email. And a lot of times I'm thinking like I've had to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain things where I, I want to go see someone. It's just – because I, it's it's like you hear this uh, thing about oh someone broke up with someone over a text, mm. you know via text, and I just thought oh man, that's terrible. You know it's just not the it's not all you shouldn't all email is not always the best thing to use. So yeah. which actually leads back to number one, <laughs> and answer what is an unnecessary email? And yeah. I mean it may come as a surprise to people there are many unnecessary emails out there. There are, there are, there are so many, um, you know, I mean, there are the emails that, uh, just, I don't know, they, they, they have no, you're, you're included for some sort of informational purpose, but it's not clear. Um, I think the sender thought there was a purpose, but if they don't clearly communicate what the reason is for that email in the email and usually kind of near the top or in the subject line, um, we're likely to interpret it as an unnecessary email. Another unnecessary email is if somebody, you know, doesn't give you enough, hey, do you want to talk next week? Uh, yeah, what days work for you? Oh, Tuesday, I don't know. You know I, mean, right, I mean, right when you start to get into these like, oh God, you know, these back and forths um, instead of, hey, do you want to talk next week? I'm free Tuesday afternoon from two to four or whatever. Let me know which time works. You see, now yes. we've just taken care of like four unnecessary emails in the middle of that. Um, so uh, I think sometimes that we tend to write emails uh, almost free form. It's, it's our first drafts. Oh, here's so-and-so. I have this thing I want to say to them. I'm just going to think it out and type as I go, and then I'm going to hit send. Um, and that, that puts a lot of burden on the recipient to read it, to decipher, to figure out what they need to know and, and move on. We, we need to be more considerate. If we are more considerate of our recipient, if we think about it, we can type that out and go, okay, well, here's really what they need to know. Here's what I'm going to put in this subject. I need your input by Friday. I'm going to lead with, can you give me input on the da 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 da? You know, they are going to actually, um, really appreciate that. Yes. You know, I mean, I think we, we do so appreciate it when we can tell someone has taken time to craft an email to us. It's like, oh my God, they care. <laughs> right. And, and there's a, you talk in the, that chapter about before you write anything, you've got to ask yourself, what is the purpose yeah. of this email? Even just that half second <laughs> thinking yep. about that will make your email breakthrough. Again, you know, you don't have to do this stuff perfectly, but just think like, why am I sending this email? And if you don't have that, uh, you're, they're going to appreciate the fact that you didn't. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, just email for the sake of, of showing up and sending an email, you know, yikes. We're all yeah. drowning. We're all drowning in, in emails and content. And uh, so this is, you know, you, the, the bit you quoted from the introduction, which is that, you know, if email is less effective, we have to be more effective yes. in how we use it. And that's 
that's the, the point I need to make is we have to not be sloppy about it, but be intentional. Um, and we'll make the world a little bit better. You know, there's our holiday gift to the, <laughs> to the world is being a little more careful with our emails. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's jump to, uh, there were a couple others, like number four and 12, you talk about verbal virtuosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, my favorite part was you were explaining what cognitive load is. <laughs> yep. And that's, that's, you don't want people to have to think too hard. But also in number 12, you talk about a big pet peeve of mine, which is what you call the unwelcoming wall of words. Mm-hmm. So t- talk about that verbal virtuosity and the unwelcoming wall of words. Sometimes I get those things and I want to put TL semicolon DR, yeah. meaning yep. too long, didn't read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and, and especially if they put it in a really small font. Oh gosh, yeah, right. Yeah, I, you know, it's I, I feel like sometimes the uh wall of words. So that is just when you when you open up an email and it, this happens often when you're reading it on your phone, right? You open it up and it's like thwunk. It's it fills yes. up two screens with no break. It's like, "Oh, crap." You know. <laughs> well, and tell tell folks what the coffee test is. All right, so here's the coffee test. And and so it, it's, you know, or it could be tea as well. I'm yes, just, I mean, not, we are not, talking not, to Ann Janser. So. Right, I do like tea. I, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Which is this, send yourself the email you're thinking of sending someone else. So just send it to your, to your account. And then either go stand in line as, at a coffee shop while you order a coffee or, uh, you know, sit or and make brewery. yourself or a brewery. <laughs> hey, a brewery could be fine. But before you consume the beer, because we're trying to assess something here. Okay. So, so stand in line somewhere and, and, you know, while you're in line, look at it. Or while you're in your kitchen, making yourself, make yourself a cup while you're reading it and, and look at your email. And can you make sense of it? Can you figure out if you were just getting this fresh, would you have to say, wait, no, hang on, I got to sit down. I have to put on my glasses. I have to really think. Um, or is it something where you can go, I read the first sentence. Oh, this is important. I'm going to file it as important. I'll read it, you know, tomorrow or, you know, I mean, because people, here's, you know, newsflash, people tend to look at the email and defer it and deal with it later. And yet we forget that when we send people emails. So your email should be really easy for them to sort out initially, instantly. Do I have to sit and read this right now? Should I sit and read this when I have more attention or can I fire off an answer and just have it be done with? You need to help them parse that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also then need to make sure that it's easy for them to retrieve the email. Let's say they read it and they say, oh, Anne writes these long posts. I'm going to read this later. Make sure that the subject line says what it is so they can retrieve it later or else it's just going to be loss in email purgatory. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I want to get to that now. So we're talking about the wall of words and verbal virtuosity, which are not good things. Mm, yeah. And then you have a chapter on the too short message. And so people might be listening to this thinking, yeah, but I always write short emails. I always write, so that doesn't apply to me. Everybody I'm sure loves my emails. And you write, not so fast. <laughs> not so fast. <laughs> Brevity is golden, but it's not always appreciated. So what yeah. are the dangers of a too short message? So there's there's two dangers. One is, is it's too short that you're not giving people all the information they need, right? Uh, so that you end up with this back and forth thing, <laughs> right. right? Which is just let's, ugh, let's not go there. And and but then the second danger then of course becomes one of um, tone. You know, sometimes the extra words, the extra reasoning. If if I just say, you know, hey, will you do this thing, and then sign off. 
mm, what, you know, what, what was Anne's tone when she said that? If I say, hey, will you do this thing? Here's why I need this by Tuesday because it's going to help us do this. Okay, now I've given a reason, you mm-hmm. know, so it's good to start with the request and then give the reasons and things like that. Um, but, but people are just, are just terrible at interpreting tone. It's going to, the, the tone that they attribute to your email will depend entirely on, are they hungry? Are they pissed off? Are they, you know, what's their day like? All of these things are going to be a, a lens through which they're reading. And if you use too few words, you're leaving a lot of interpretive um, uh, area for that tone. And again, it, this your relationship with the person you're emailing is what's really important. Um, are you do you know each other really well? Uh, is it, you know, I could, I could send a note like that to one of my kids that, you know, it's fine. Um, but to an author who's just reached out with me once and I'm looking at their manuscript. So now they're like, she's, I want to wonder what she thinks about it. And then I send a really terse email back. They'd be like, Oh God, she hates it. You know, I mean, I don't know. They might be or they might not. So it's, well, at least they got their email answered. You know? <laughs> right. But you know, it could so, be like a boss saying, uh, we need to speak in the morning. Oh yeah, that's oh, the worst, right? Yeah. Just like, don't even don't even do those kinds of things where you really put people in fear. But but the point is, we don't know what people are bringing to the email that they're that they're reading from us, and unless we know them very well, it's hard um, for us to to know what they might interpret from it. So too short, you know, it can appear abrupt, rude, demanding. Um, again, things that you probably don't. That's not probably the personal brand you're shooting for uh, in the workplace. <laughs> yes. And let me add that you mentioned a study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology suggests that people misinterpret the tone of emails about half the time. Half the time. That really got my attention. Isn't that nuts? I mean, that, that really does. It's it's fascinating. I think I opened that chapter with a story uh, that from an some author had asked me for a review and I politely declined because I was busy, wished him luck. And he just was like, oh man, you didn't have to be so rude. I'm thinking, oh no, crap. And I actually was really grateful for him for communicating that that's how he felt because it made me think, I wonder how many other people have that reaction to my seemingly polite response. And it's good to know that that can happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's disturbing to think that, you know, we're just we're not as good at writing emails as we as we think we are. <laughs> yeah, one half of your emails are going to be misunderstood in terms of tone and you write even ordinary transactional emails can go wrong in spectacular ways yeah. like yeah. related to that uh, story you just just yeah. told. A couple other quick questions. I mean this is the marketing podcast. Yeah. We do have some marketing uh, folks out there but subject lines. Um <laughs> Let me read uh, just this one thing from page 40. It's very interesting. You say, an email subject line must accomplish two important tasks. One, inspire opening. (laughs) The subject line should identify what the message is about so people can decide when and where to read it. And number two is what's even more interesting to me. Aid retrieval. The subject line helps people sort and categorize messages they don't act on immediately. So, can you talk about some of the common subject line failures? Yeah. And so, this is interesting because, again, I come from this marketing background, and the thing we are obsessed about is open rates, right? 
that that's we I need to know I need people to open. Mm-hmm. And that's what we think about. And so this leads to this whole set of sort of clickbait headlines. Yes. Right? <laughs> clickbait. So um and we can you know, if for your email marketing campaigns, if you want to use a, a clickbait, you know, bless you, you can do that. Um, you know, things like this is an exciting opportunity, open today for your, you know, incredible savings, something like that. But they can also land you in the spam folder. So that's another another <laughs> issue. Um, but the problem is that for these more one-on-one emails that we're sending as part of our doing our business, and these could be emails to prospects and customers and all of that, again, mm-hmm. Chances are they're not something they're going to open, do it, and discard it, which is really how they're going to deal with the the sales, email marketing, sales, salesy kind of things that we send. They're going to say, yes, I'm interested in this offer, or no, off it goes. Um, they're going to need to look at it, think about it. Maybe if they're looking at it in that line for coffee, they're going to have to look at it when they're back in the office. They're going to need to think about it. Anything that requires maybe just a little bit more thought probably won't be handled on the first pass. It needs to be handled on the second. And so if you have a clickbaity subject line, exciting opportunity, they get back, you know, it's like Friday. It's like, oh, there was that thing I had to look at this week. What was that? Um, An exciting opportunity. Exciting opportunity, right. You know, I mean, if, if unless you put the subject, the actual subject in the subject line, <laughs> they won't know how to get to it. I mean, uh-huh. the email inbox is kind of like a filing cabinet for a lot of people. And so the the file label is that subject line. So you can help people. Again, you want your emails to be easy to find, easy to retrieve, easy to act on, all mm-hmm. of these things. So think about how you might retrieve that email in the future um, and try to put that, you know, some something about that in the, uh, in the subject line. Yes. Yeah. Moving on, you write that many email horror stories people send you are related mm. to attachments. Explain. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the the, the universal and, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> well, some of them are unintended attachments, I guess. Unintended attachments or forgetting the attachments is the first one. I mean, okay. raise your hand if you've done this. It's like, yes, yeah. you know. And then, of course, you have to send the immediately, oops, I forgot the attachment, which is we all do it. But if you're really trying to, like, make a – proposals. I am the expert authority in this and here's my proposal. And that's like, okay, well now here's my proposal. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. Oops. <laughs> Oopsies. Um, so it's not a big deal. You just don't want that to become part of your, you know, personal brand is that you are always the one who forgets attachments. Um, and then there's attaching the wrong thing. My favorite came uh, from uh, someone who told me about <laughs> she got this email. Uh, it was from a lawyer, I believe. And it was called, the email subject was email <laughs> the body was see attached and the attachment was document one it's like well <laughs> you know why what i mean you actually need to give people a reason to open the attachment especially as we're all looking at things things suspiciously it's like is this a spammy thing you know yeah so label your attachment attachments can be great for putting things that maybe you want people to take a little more care looking at. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, if it's a proposal, you know, all the, I might put the highlights of the proposal in the email and say, mm-hmm. see the attached proposal. And that's where I can spend more time because people are more likely to open it up and read it differently than they read an email uh, because they think of it as a document instead of an email. This is like a, another Jedi mind trick thing, but we, <laughs> we approach these things differently. That's just who we are, I think, or maybe not everyone, but a lot of people. Yes. Um, well, let me so. ask you about 
undermining your authority, which is clearly something I do pretty much every episode. But this was very interesting. And I, you say you talk about women who do this in a work environment face a greater risk of being seen as unsure of themselves. And I'm going to quote, you say, many conversational language patterns fall flat in print. Indirect speech is one of them. Can you, can you explain what you mean there? Because this is yes. very important. This is very important, and I work with a lot of uh, of authors and, and business writers, and it, this is something that pops up all the time in the writing. So when we uh, speak, we tend to add qualifiers. I just said we tend to. We add qualifiers. We say a little, some, just. Um, sometimes we add a uh, uh, like check-ins conversational isn't that right you know these kinds of things that we add um and there's a, a wonderful author her name is deborah tannen she's mm-hmm. written a book about how men and women communicate at work and i highly recommend it it's fascinating she studies communication things and she says that these uh patterns where we add qualifiers we we kind of hedge a bit it is not really necessarily uh, expressions of uncertainty, it is in, often inviting people to contribute, mm-hmm. or it, it can be a way of giving uh, an order without sounding like you're demanding something. It, it's, it's, a, it's a negotiation of a power relationship, which is a really weird way to look at it. But, but it could work. It works well speaking speech, to someone. Yeah. Although even then it can backfire. But what happens in writing and a lot of us write as we think, and mm-hmm. we think as we speak, and then you see these qualifiers and hedgers, and we read, and we read very literally, and it comes across to us that this person is uncertain, that this person is just not confident in their facts. It weakens the prose. So that's when I talk about undermining your authority. Um, this is something that you, if you do this, if you have these speech patterns, um, and you want, you know, you need to think about when they apply and when they don't, but when they don't, you need to learn how to find them. Mm-hmm. I have a little hit list of things that I look for in my writing uh, when I'm revising. It's like anytime I say a bit, it can usually go, you know, mm-hmm. so I actually go do uh, a look through and I find them, all the sum and all these sort of qualifiers I delete from my writing. They're still there. I hate to look at transcripts of my spoken speech because it is not how I would write, despite the fact that I like to write in a conversational tone. Mm-hmm. It's not really, it's edited conversation. <laughs> right. Well, now I got the impression that the very last thing you do in an email is put in who it's going to. Is That's, that right? That is the, the one practice that I have gotten from so many people had sent me. When they're working on an important email, they don't fill in the to address until they're really sure they like it. <laughs> right. right. Because they can't send. The mailer won't send it. So you can't just accidentally, you know, hit send yes. uh, if you if you fill in to last, which I think is it's pretty brilliant. If even if you want to do a tough reply, take out <laughs> take them out, copy them somewhere, and then add the re- email address back in when you're when you're ready, because it also frees you from that temptation to like, oh, I'm done. I'm just hitting send, right? Uh, when you maybe should just take a careful look and make sure that it's what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, chapter 26, this will be the last thing I want to ask you about the book, is something that doesn't happen to me so much in 
a work-related situation, but it's a, a big issue when emailing my children or my wife, which is no one <laughs> responds to your emails. Yep. Now, but the, the point is here, if no one seems to respond to your emails, it really might be your emails. It might be you, actually. It might your emails, your emails, precisely. Yeah. Have well, you, my have wife you usually made... says, how did this get out of my spam folder? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I thought I had a clear block. Yeah, I thought list. I had I blocked know. you on email. <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. Um, that's a different book altogether. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We can we can't even go into that one, yeah. um, but no, yeah. Uh, I think often it is because if we don't make it crystal clear at the very beginning of the email why why the person is receiving it and what we want them to do, um, two things happen. One is they just don't even see it because again, distracted, busy, or they don't read far enough. Uh, I, I shared a story in there of a client I worked with once for years who would read to the very first thing in my email and respond and then never read whatever, <laughs> whatever came after. <laughs> I learned they had to be one subject emails for him, which is fine. Right. Um, but, you know, that's fine. That that was a lesson for me. Um, I can't believe it took me as long as it did to learn it. Um, so if no one's responding to your emails, you need to look. Are you giving it a very clear subject? Are you saying in the very first sentence or two what the re- what the reason? If you want to have a pleasantry, hey, it's great to hear hear from you. Can you do this? Are you are you giving the thing that you want them to respond to the very right at the very beginning? Open with the request. You right. open with the request. Yes. Um, and if you're not doing that, you really shouldn't be surprised that no one is responding because again, we're all kind of overwhelmed with emails and um, you know. It, it, you have to rise above. You have to rise above the the flood of stuff in people's email inboxes. Yes. So, Anne, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Hmm. So, here's one thing. Take that same care that you take for your marketing materials and apply a fraction of that to your emails. <laughs> Right, and one way just to, a my, fraction will help. Fraction. It doesn't have to be a lot. And my favorite tip for this is that when you've written your email before you send it, take a look at the first paragraph. Is it all I, 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 me, me? That I was looking at this. I was at that, or is it you? Change it from I to you. This one thing can be super transformational in terms of how people. Uh, react to whether they respond to your emails because you've made suddenly made it about them and not about you. So easy fix to do to your emails. Um, and, and it will, you know, this is what we do in marketing. We don't just come up. Is and it show more about, about you than it is about them? Precisely. Yes. Precisely. Easy yeah. to say, uh, hard for folks to to do and internalize. Yeah, but, but you can just make it a little quick of before I send the email. And I do this. I write an email and then I go back and I rewrite the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. Easy, you know, just make it part of your practice. It's yeah. easy peasy, you yeah. know? Well, and a lot of people will say, Douglas, you know, it's, it's, it's all about you, isn't it? So <laughs> that's... No, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, uh, that's great advice. Just think about... Um, it's that E word, empathy. Uh, mm. Just, it, it, am I going to be understood? It's not about saying it, is it going to be understood? So finally, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or uh, looking forward to reading? 
Yeah, so I just read one by a, a frequent visitor to the Marketing Book Podcast, which is Mark Schaefer's. Oh, the king uh, of the new, Marketing Book Podcast. The, the king, the king, which is his recent book, uh, Cumulative Advantage. Oh, terrific. Uh, which is such a good read uh, and so interesting. And, you know, I think about it from an author perspective. It applies from all kinds of, you know, marketing. It's a lot of really interesting insight. And then now at the same time, I'm, I'm looking at, a, or I'm listening to it, actually, an audiobook of one that is a couple years old called um, The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success by Albert Laszlo Barabasi. Um, I've just started it. I'm not that far in, but it almost is looking at the same kind of thing from a big data math analytical angle. So it's a fascinating, they make a fascinating pair of books to read one right after the other if you're interested in Interesting. that. Interesting. That sounds um, like a great, uh, That both of those would be good uh, New Year's books to read. Yeah. Yeah. I think things to, to get a little perspective on thinking about uh, your what's going on. Yeah, I think these are the kinds that your inquiring, curious audience would find uh, interesting. Well, good, good. Well, at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, uh, the books that have been mentioned, other episodes uh, to your website, and very specifically, and I'm going to include your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter account and so forth, but there is one uh, great resource page, and I'm going to include a link to at anjanser.com, which is a summary of the 33 different ways, and then the recommended reading and research. And then another one, another link there is all these useful email tools and resources. So get folks off to the right, uh, right step. And to the listener, please make Ann Janser's day, make her new year, reach out to her, and thank her for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast a fourth time. And I should add, Mark Schaefer is the one and only member of the Marketing Book Podcast Seven Timers Club. Yeah. But he better wow. watch out for Ann Janser because she is a writing <laughs> machine. She's like a, you know, she's going to come from behind there and overtake him. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I gotta, but she got Anne has talked about how much she's enjoyed hearing from um, from listeners. So please, please uh, thank her for uh, being on the on the show. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails. The author is Anne Janser. And thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast for this special Christmas episode. Thanks for having me. Now i got to figure out another strategy to sneak back onto this show again. <laughs> I'm going to have to write another book. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> and that closes the book on this special Christmas episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, found it helpful, and that you have a happy and prosperous new year.